Welcome to the socialworldpodcast.com. Your host is Dave Niven. Today's show is sponsored by David Niven Associates. Well, welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven. And this, I think, is podcast number 40. It's amazing how fast it goes. Now, for the next few podcasts, as I explained in the last one, over the next two or three weeks... I'm going to let you hear about four or five hours that I actually recorded at the Joint Social Work Education Conference at the Royal Holloway University, which is part of the University of London. It was a marvellous conference, three days of intense activity, intense number of workshops, excellent keynote speeches, and a marvellous opportunity for the educators and researchers uh, in social work to network together. Now... Um, the presentations that took place there were uh, enormous in terms of their numbers, but also in terms of their variety. And so for this podcast, the first one, I just want to give you a bit of a flavour of what went on. So the first keynote speaker was Harry Ferguson, who's the Professor of Social Work at Nottingham University. And prior to that, he'd been at the University of the West of England in Bristol and at University College Dublin, Trinity College Dublin and University College Cork. He's a very well-known man within social work circles, and his his vision for social work was what he actually laid out in his keynote speech, and I tried to sort of drill down a little bit in the conversation that I had with him afterwards. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Harry Ferguson, who's the uh, Professor of Social Work at Nottingham University, and... Uh, a stalwart of JSWEC and has already given his keynote presentation. Welcome, Harry. Thanks very much, David. Now, in your keynote, you covered a lot of ground, but a lot of it was focused on, in my view, anyway, the landscape of social work at the moment, mm. but also on how social work is perceived, but how social workers are feeling, if you want to put it that way as well. And one of your quotes was, is life and dignity being squeezed out of social work at the moment? Would you like to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, well, I think um, what I was trying to say in my presentation was that um, when you do look at the sort of totality of how social work is talked about in the media, amongst the public... um, by some people in, in agencies, some senior managers. Um, it's, it's all very negative and very deficit-driven. Um, there's always something wrong with social work or social workers. Um, so, you know, with the research I've been doing, I've been observing practitioners going about their work. And... Um, this whole so I began to think about how can how can I get a how can I you know what would be a, a really kind of meaningful way to try and represent what I've been seeing and experiencing in the company of social workers and um, so it really struck me that the public discourse sort of so that there's a whole load of life there that I've been witnessing you know in these encounters between social workers and service users and that's completely squeezed out of what you know of how social work is talked about and represented in the public discussion okay one of the things that I know you're very passionate about is actually the experience of people with social workers on the front line and the experience of children and how social workers talk to children, how, to, how social workers are, where they, the, the key points are in the whole social work visit the whole the, yeah. the, the, with children and, and their families. You did quite a bit of work around that area. What were your sort of findings? Or what sort of key things stood out? Well, you know, I think we, we have a great corpus of knowledge and research about social work. Um, but curiously, one of the areas that research has not um, been done in is is getting close to actual practice itself. Um, You know, there's been studies done of social workers 
in their organisations and how they feel about um, the kind of bureaucratised nature of social work these days, about the impact of computerization and so on and so forth. Um, but most studies haven't really left the office. Yeah. You know, they've, they've talked to social workers about their experiences of working with children, families, adults and so on. You know, when they've got back from seeing them, yeah. you know, when they've yeah. got back to the office from their home visits. Um, so I think there's a, there's a growing awareness uh, in social work of the need to, for researchers to get right up close to practice, yeah. to use ethnography, participant observation. Um, so what I've been doing over the last couple of years is um, going out with social workers uh, on their visits. Uh, my area is child protection, um, so I'll interview social workers on the way to m most of the children and families that are seen in, the, in their own in their own home. So, you know, the work generally involves making a journey. So I'll interview the social workers on the way there to the family home about what their plan is for the visit, and what their hopes are, expectations, how they feel about visiting this family. You know, they'll often tell me about how anxious they they felt. Mm. Um, or indeed sometimes how much they're looking forward to seeing the children and parents and so on because they, they really liked them and felt welcomed by them. Um, I observe the uh, actual encounter itself um, between the practitioner and, and the, the, the family members in the home and audio record it. Um, and then on the way back to the office I'll do an interview in the car, it's usually in the car because that's the way they mostly travel, social workers, where we'll go through like what their experience okay. was of the visit, yes. how it went, yeah. how they feel about it. And obviously, you know, this is ethically sensitive research and, you know, consent from all parties and so on has mm. to be given. One thing I know and I remember you've said on a couple of occasions I've heard you speaking is this whole business about the dominance of performance management procedures, paperwork, computers, etc., and the the if you like the reduction in direct work that social workers have had, or, or that the social workers do. And my view is that an awful lot of it's now being farmed out to the voluntary sector or wherever. And that the reason why a lot of social workers came into social work is being somehow or other dissipated. Is that fair? Um, I think that the sort of analysis that we have that you've just you know summarized there about you know the impact of organizational change performance management on social work is you know I think it's quite accurate in many ways social workers certainly do have to spend quite a lot of time at their computers and so on but I do think that we and feel strongly that we have to reframe the debate as well um, so what I've been trying to do is, instead of focusing on what social workers can't do with children and families, because they're spending so much time at their computers, I think we need to find out what they, how they spend the time that they do have with, with service users. What do they actually do? What do they say? Um, how do they behave? Uh, how, do you, you know, how do you effectively engage? With us, you know, and develop rapport with the service user. How do you, do, you know, how do you establish a, a therapeutic alliance, a long-term relationship? Um, so, and when, so, like, what, in having done, you know, quite a large number now of participant observations of that kind, where I observe, you know, the encounters between the practitioners and the and, and um, children and families, um, you know. A whole kind of landscape of vitality, um, complexity, you know, emerges, you know, in these encounters, and there shouldn't be any surprise about that, you know. Um, I know, I know. And um, but there is sometimes, isn't there? Well, I mean, I'm thinking of something as simple as, and it was you that put it in my mind, and and, and I thought, my goodness, that's so simple. How many social workers going on a visit take toys in the car to actually play with the child if appropriate in order to relax the child and also to notice behaviour? Not many, but you pointed that out, I remember, in something, a speech I heard you give some time before, 
I mean, it's something as simple as that. It just, you know, it's not common. Well, when you observe practice, I think lots of questions arise about what's the most effective way to communicate with children, with adults. Um, play is a huge one. So one of the, you know, this sounds like a really basic thing to find out, but um, social workers are required to see children on their own where there is concerns about them possibly being harmed. Um, so one of my big research questions, uh, well, one of the big research questions for me was uh, where do social workers see children on their own? Like, and we don't have a literature on that. Like, where is the best place to see a child on their own for there to be, a, you know, the best opportunity for that child to talk about the reality of their experience? The answer I got from observing social workers was in their bedrooms. Yeah? That's the most common place in the studies I've done where social workers see children on their own. Um, and a lot of children in my study weren't seen on their own by social workers. Uh, and the most important reason for that was because they were regarded as too young, being too young. They were preschool. Um, four or five was generally seen as a sort of cut-off point where a child had the, the right, you know, the, a, an adequate level of um, understanding and you know, capacity to, to, want to communicate. Um, so there are two implications uh, from this, really. Um, the first one is that with children who are old enough to be seen on their own, social workers need to be able to sort of obviously orally communicate, you know, ask questions in an appropriate, non-leading way where the ch which will elicit information and so on. Um, and secondly, the second implication is that for children of all ages, but especially preschool children, Social workers need to know how to play. They need to know how to communicate like through the use of objects. Even, yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So there were some social workers in my study who did not routinely take pens and paper and toys and so on with them. And when I asked about that, um, I, 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 a, a sort of a very quite clear pattern of kind of answer came back, which was that. Um, uh, it was largely up to individuals uh, as to whether they did this or not, but the teams where it didn't happen as much um, were aware of it and were talking about getting together sort of like resource kits of communication things. Um, and as one senior manager said to me one day, um, but it's early days yet. You know? And really? you know, an easy answer, an obvious response to that would be, well, you know, what are you waiting for? You know, um, but it, and you know, it's easy to be sort of, uh, I suppose, clever and sort of take the moral high ground in relation to that kind of uh, response. But well, you would need to know why they say that. Well, I think what the underpinning reality of why that kind of response was there was because. It, it relates back to the uh, to the kind of culture in which these practitioners operate in. So, um, if you operate in a culture, an occupational culture, a team culture where nobody ever asks about whether you've got or not, whether you've got any play resources with you, where there aren't where there are limited spaces in the office to work with children. Some practitioners complained vehemently to me about not having anywhere to actually take children to communicate with them. So if the culture is one which sort of narrows how you think about your role, and you know, your role is framed largely as going out and trying to you know, elicit some kind of information and you know, getting on with it the best that you can, um, then, you know, if it's er it might be early days in the sense that, well, you're waiting for something to change, you know, and um, I guess that something would be something around the, the kind of culture of leadership and, and so on, and the shift away from the kind of, you know, targets and auditing and what's viewed as important um, in terms of time scales and all that, you know, 
that was another reason why they felt they couldn't really do that sort of more rich, soulful communication with children was because um, they felt really rushed. You know, they had to squeeze assessments into, you know, 10 days, these sort of limits that are placed on them by government guidance and procedures. And um, so, you know, they would rush through and maybe spend, I found in some scenarios, you know, five to 15 minutes being a sort of norm that would be spent with the child typically on an assessment. Um, but I really need you to ask me about the team's favorite, where there was a different sort of... Uh, no, no, no. Please tell me about the team where there was a difference. <laughs> because there's a more yeah. positive story. Where there, you know, because like, like in, my, positive. in yes. my conference paper, I was like, you know, kind of playing with the whole kind of notion of life and vitality and vigor, you know, and the, the importance of us, you know, doing justice and really representing the reality of, of that kind of uh, lively, kind of alive social work that's going on. Um, and I have come out of this research feeling, you know, basically optimistic, I think. Good. And, you know, really um, with a deep respect for uh, what, but th for the creativity that so many practitioners actually well, do. I think people need to hear this. Do, yeah. you know, demonstrate in their everyday practice. So there was a whole kind of cohort of social workers who did take toys. You know, who like had some boxes of toys in their car boot that they routinely carried around with them. They had in, you know, women had bags, you know, handbags and other bags of stuff that they would take into homes with them. Men would carry in um, uh, similar kinds of resources. Um, and, you know, these practitioners could play with children would get down on the floor with them, you know, um, would, you know, were very skillful. You know, I, I developed this concept of intimate practice to try and, um, you know, help us to sort of have a language to uh, try and you know, articulate the kind of closeness that's necessary really to get to children and, and indeed parents if you're going to establish the truth of their experience, going to help them to change and to heal and so on if there's trauma in their lives. And um, you know, some practitioners were really intimate in terms of their use of touch, you know, as a comforting thing for children who were clearly acting out in quite traumatized and distressed ways on home visits. Um, so there's a lot of really wise, compassionate and I would say, you know, therapeutic work being done. And, you know, these really inspirational social workers, because that's what, you know, I'm calling them, um, they could really establish rapport with children very, very quickly, you know, in a highly skilled, soulful kind of way. Um, and when I was preparing for this conference, I, it really struck me that, you know, the term engagement isn't sufficient, really, to kind of do justice to this. Um, what they actually are doing is they're sort of, it's immersion. There's this kind of immersion uh, in the moment with the child. And this happens with parents too, um, which kind of, you know, represents a quality of engagement um, where rapport and relationship building is established quickly. And I, and I saw real evidence of that being developed over time into and you know affecting real change for mm, children yeah. and families let me just developing that a little bit further i mean there are charismatic social workers there are those that have got these skills naturally anyway whether it's in their own life experience or just that they can they can do it but also obviously we would like more social workers to be able to do that because it's a crucial skill from what you're saying is and therefore it brings us back to the actual teaching and learning of these skills and you know my question obviously is there enough of this is there enough emphasis on this where should it be is it should it be in the universities or should it be in continuing professional development what would yeah. be your thoughts on that um well there were certainly some social workers in my study who felt that 
you know, even you know, confident, skilled social workers who felt that they they need they wanted more continuing professional development because they wanted to continue to improve and to be able to be even more helpful, you know, as their career progressed. Um, so I think that uh, I suppose there's two elements to this. Um, I think the concept of use of self is, re is is helpful, and you know it's it's kind of re you know I think there was a notion of the use of self when sort of psychoanalysis and sort of person-centered theories were popular in social work in the 60s and 70s, and they sort of disappeared I think uh, for a variety of reasons, um, and there's a resurgence of them now, you know, what Gillian Rouche calls a kind of relational turn in the sense that, you know... Yes, uh, we are in a real conference. <laughs> this is live uh, kitchen disasters. Sorry, um, you know, there's a kind of this shift towards and the recognition there needs to be more relationship-based practice. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, in the context of there being a lot of... Um, despondency and negativity about the quality of social work graduates these days and the quality of qualified social workers you know again like and I mean you know I educate social work students and social workers and so I could be accused of you know well you would say this wouldn't you um, but you know these inspirational social workers have come off university courses some of them are getting, you know, they are, we are seeing the rewards of good continuing professional development. Um, but in terms of like, I think, really consolidating and really embedding this quality of use of self, you know, in practice, I do think um, social work education and CPD need to be promoting, you know, real self-awareness, a real kind of op learning opportunities for practitioners about how they do use themselves, how close they are comfortable about getting to children, and, and so on and so forth. Some, some of the workers in my study, for instance, were quite, you know, they did speak about feeling uncomfortable about getting being afraid of touching children, even to comfort them for fear of being, you know, accused of child sex abuse. And that kind of thing, and you know, and ultimately, I think we need a kind of systemic shift where things like play, the importance of you know having that kind of vitality, you know, are kind of where you know social workers are kind of motivated by good leadership and good management, um, and sort of energized in a way where they will have, and given the kind of supervision where they will be able to sort of, you know, keep the life and sort of communicate in those sort of life-enhancing okay. ways that, you know, I think my research and all the research shows is what ultimately, you know, can help to make a difference. Two quick questions, maybe more about the national, just the national picture, if I may. I mean, on one hand, we can't, in, in one of your major field, child protection, if you like, we can't but be hopeful that the people who have been abused <clears throat> and have never come forward for years are getting a little bit more encouragement that it's now possible and, and they will be received with a lot more respect and dignity than they imagined before. That's on one hand. On the other hand, talking with some social workers, I think there is some worry about being overwhelmed sometimes by the numbers coming forward. Now, if you like to, to flow into this, the national inquiry that's been announced. Um, just what are your views on that landscape? Well, I did my PhD on the history of social work and child protection. And, you know, I started in the end of the, at the end of the 19th century with the formation of the NSPCC. And I was lucky enough to get access to some case records that went, you know, of social work visits to families and so on that was, you know started in the 1890s um, and you know right through to the present and uh, so I found you know child sex abuse cases that went back to the I remember reading one from 1909 this child had clearly been you know uh, sexually abused by her father and it was taken as a neglect case 
because they had no confidence that they could, you know, prove that child sexual abuse had happened, that incest had occurred, um, because it was an unthinkable act at that time. I read case papers where there'd clearly been sexual abuse and you could see the workers and the administrators and the legal people who were making the decisions um, denying it. Just like writing in, well, we don't think we we don't think it happened, um, but we'll try and we'll try and take these children into care for other reasons. Um, so all this kind of historic abuse uh, disclosure and scandal that we've been hearing about over the last couple of years doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, Do you I feel think it's a bit overwhelming, or uh, I mean, it's, I, I believe it's good in the sense that the, the messages is giving that people can come forward. Now. But on the other hand, the, the volume of cases in some in some situations is quite high, depending if you're the poor authority that got a lot in it. Well, of course it's potentially overwhelming, and it might well be overwhelming. You know, some police forces as well as uh, you know, having that kind of impact on social work departments. Um, and it's hard not to sort of give a political answer, David, isn't it? Like, you know, I know. I mean, the big risk and this undoubtedly happens is that thresholds change you know to um, accommodate new cases and so you know the level of risk has to be higher in order f for the you know the kind of workforce capacity to be able to respond to you know what they can respond to um, we live in an era of austerity cuts um, services are being you know scaled back while this demonstrable need that you're talking about is difficult, dramatically increasing difficult juggling, so yeah. I think I think social workers and you know other professionals who deal with child protection are capable of making a radical difference to people's lives to keeping okay. people safe healing trauma and so on but they have to be given the resources to do it. Harry, I'm afraid we're going to have to call a halt there. It's been a delight as always and thank you very much indeed for coming along. Well, thanks very much, David. Uh, my pleasure. I'll see you during the conference. Thanks, Harry. All the very best. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Well, that was Harry Ferguson and I hope you enjoyed that. Now, an interview with Anne Hansen and Diane Biddle, two newly qualified social workers, one, in, one took a master's, one took a bachelor's, and their view, their vision, if they like, of, of social work um, in, the, in the world of work to come, their aspirations and the challenges that they think are ahead of them. This is a good interview too. Joined now by Anne Hansen and Diane Biddle, who both just graduated from the University of Dundee, Anne with a Master's in Social Work and Diane with a Bachelor of Social Work. Now Diane has just started in a job three weeks now working with older people and Anne's at the point of choosing which job to actually go for. So they're both really at the beginning, if you like, of the, the new part of their lives in work. So one at a time, maybe Diane first, okay? What does it look like to you? That I mean, you've been three weeks working now with older people I mean, is it what you expected so far? Are you enjoying it? Is, is I am it... enjoying it. It's, it is what I expected. I think the, the university prepared us well for, for starting work. And I think having a good team behind you as well to really accept you into the team and sort of get you used to the, the role gradually is, is helping a lot. New colleagues are very welcoming, Yes, they? They're, they're very good, yeah, and they're very up-to-date with theory and things, so they're, they're, they're pushing to keep me going with that, and I think that's something that I'm going to have to keep on top of myself, to keep myself working with theory and not let that disappear. Good, because I mean, my experience of social work in teams is that it's usually quite um, refreshing to have somebody just join the team who's just been studying, yeah, because the team, they can bring a lot with them. The team are very welcome to that, and we have good discussions in the office, and we're all keep up to date with theory and we feel it's quite important to discuss the theory as we're going and sort of support each other with that. Okay, just for the moment, Anne, your experience of the education process, did you feel that you were well prepared for the world of work? I think I was well prepared by the university um, because the way the Masters is, is set out, you get quite a lot of practical experience on top of the theory. 
Um, but the Masters is set out as well as um, getting that ex experience is there's an, an awful lot that you have to do yeah. and I think that sets sets you as a, a new social worker in good stead because you you look into a lot of things on your own you're pushed by the staff you're pushed by yourself it's a good motivator I think the masters I mean it's a bit different in Scotland to England I know that but I mean different experiences but you know there's an ebb and there's a flow and, and all yeah. sorts of things so you will have noticed that sometimes there's quite a negative image of social work in the media. Do you worry a little bit about how it will be with, with the people you start working with, how they will perceive social workers, and perhaps? Um, from a personal experience, I've noticed that um, you go out on a social evening and you, you don't, I don't very often say I'm a social work student, I'll say I'm a student, because it isn't, it isn't taken in, in good in, in a good manner, you know, people, social workers. In fact, I did have one person who actually said to me, social workers is what's wrong with the world. So do, you do know that and you take that on board. But, you know, in social work, yes, the media grabs hold of the really negative things, but how many thousands of positive things that have happened at social work? Yeah. And the nature of social work, it's not like you can then go off and say... Um, you know that was that was a really good outcome. You know, Baby F did really well. You know, his life expectancy is going to be brilliant because we've had intervention. We look at the really negative things, Baby P, Victoria Klimbe, yeah. you know, things like that. And, well, I know. And it's difficult. I mean, I, we are turning the corner a wee bit, it's and like, I hope that by the time that you've had a year or two under your belts, mm -hmm. that. Uh, the actual kind of atmosphere out there will be a bit more conducive because it helps you do your job. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you feel about that, Diane? I mean, what the community feels about social work? I'm, I'm the opposite from Anne. I take pride in telling everyone I'm a social worker and, and invite people to challenge why they have a perception of social work against social workers, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm quite willing to discuss that with people. So, yeah, it's, it's up to, I think it's up to the social workers to kind of not hide it away and stand up for what they're doing because a lot of people don't really know what social work do. And same with working with service users, it's up to you to build the relationships so that you're not given a bad reputation of social work. OK, we'll just take it further, starting with you this time, Diane, going on to Anne. But, I mean, picking up on that point, let's imagine you've got half a dozen school leavers or, or young people right in front of us today who are thinking about work and stuff like that. Would you encourage them to think of social work? Definitely, yeah, but I think... I always think that social work is, it has got to be something you really want to do. To be to be a good social worker, you've got to really care. You've got to want to do it. It's not something a career that you could choose just to get money, just to get a job. Do you think it's a need? There's a there's a need for a bit of experience too before you become a social worker. A bit of life experience is that a, a, a universal truth, or is that a bit of a myth about you, Anne? What, what do you think? I, I, I can see where you come from in that idea. Um, but there are a lot of young people that have had a lot of life experience mm. and want to go into this profession. You know, and I think we sometimes look at age really wrongly mm -hmm. in our society. You know, um, I know some of the, the younger people on my course had far superior experience than I did in life. Mm. So I think um, age really shouldn't be looked at. It's really, I think it's more about ability what about the job situation? I mean, okay, Diane, you've got yourself a job and you're just having a look around at the moment. Do you keep in touch with many of your colleagues still from the university? Is it pretty easy for them to find work at the moment? I have to say that the master's course, there seems to be a lot of people who've managed to get um, jobs. There doesn't seem to be a scarcity of jobs at the moment, so that sort of gives a bit of Is that mainly in Scotland? In Scotland, about? although um, I recently um, visited Merseyside and there seems to be an awful lot of jobs going in Liverpool and the surrounding areas okay. as well, so um, yeah, I don't think there is a scarcity of jobs. What are you particularly looking for yourself? Because, I mean, like I said, Dan we're here who's going to work with older people. Have you got a particular preference at the moment? I think what, what's good about the Masters is it gives you a really good um, hand on a lot of different areas of social work. Um, so you're not just, you don't have to specialise in one area or another area, which I really like. I like to be able to you know, be quite broad. Um, 
And I think we're not in, really in a climate to say, oh, I'll have that job. You know, I think years and years ago we could just say, oh, I'm going to work for families and children, or I'm going to, and a job would, would be easier to get into. I think it's a bit more difficult, um, and I think... I don't think, as a new social worker, I, you can really say, I want to do that or I want to do that. But have you got a preference? Um, I think I know what I don't want to do. <laughs> and I'm not putting that out there just no, now. No, no, right, okay. um, but no, I really don't have a preference. I well, think people are people. Generic, yes. Really, you're thinking. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that's But people are people, and if they've got needs, and I can help them with their needs. I know, just, but some people you will accept get yeah. are particularly streamed towards a particular mm -hmm. group, whether that's their own history, whether it's their yeah. preferences when they were training, or whatever, yeah. the things that attract people. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to catch up with you at one point and find out what you chose. <laughs> How about you, Diane? Because we've got an ageing population. You know, the, the area of work you chose is going to get a massive increase over the next 15, 20 years when you will be effective, effectively in your prime working, as it were, you know. Does that worry you in any way, the, the kind of the volume of work that possibly could come your way? I think it's an area where the volume of social workers is going to rise in that field. It's always... It, older people is quite a big area, a big field to cover, unlike your sort of children, your child protection, where you've got certain individuals that might need support. Whereas your older people, everyone at some point could do with some help, could do with some advice. There's so many different people, and I think that's why I chose it the, the variety of people within the older people services. Okay, finally, from both of you, all right? A little message, all right, out, because we've got a lot of listeners, both uh, in the UK and abroad, you know, who are very much into social work. A message, you know, for them about social work. Why you think it's a noble or a good profession and something to be in. Why you put all the effort you have done in getting the qualifications that you've got, you know. I think it's about values, your personal values, and really sticking to your... If the, the values of social work really lie closely with my own values, so it's a way to get that out there and keep working on those values. Okay, and? A wee message. <laughs> wee message. Wee message, okay. I think, this, I suppose this is for, for new students coming into the, mm. to the, this profession. I would say it's really emotive. It's a really emotional course, and I think it, it's quite, um, it can be quite stressful, but I think keep at it because it's so worthwhile in the end. And every single one of us on this planet at one point needs help, and social work is there to give it. Anne Hanson, Diane Biddle, thank you both very much indeed. Thanks. Thank you. Well, that was Anne and Diane. And now I'd like you to listen to Alan Baird, who's the Chief Social Work Advisor of the Scottish Government, and his more strategic view of the social world or the social work landscape, and um, just what he thinks the future holds, as well as the current challenges. Alan Baird. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Alan Baird, who's the uh, Chief Social Work Advisor to the Scottish Government. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. Now, I think it would be helpful for the listeners, uh, especially a lot of them are abroad, although the bulk are in the UK, but just to say a little bit about what your job entails. Yeah, I'm currently seconded uh, from the position of Director of Social Work in Dundee City Council, uh, and initially uh, with the Scottish Government for two years, really to provide uh, ministers with professional, timely and accurate advice on all social work matters, and that's children, adults, older people, and of course criminal justice services, which uh, still sits with local authorities in Scotland. Um, importantly for me as somebody who has been in social work for, for a long time and still feels very passionately about what social work can do in changing people's lives, I do feel that uh, in Scotland we want to and we need to improve and increase the standards of professionalism within social work. And, and that's a big challenge. And when I talk about the social work workforce of 191,000, I'm not just talking about qualified social workers. I think it's really important that in a world that most of our workforce is made up of social care staff, that really 
the quality uh, of services that we provide. And all of this is about outcomes for individuals, for families and for communities. And we must strive, therefore, to improve that quality. And that's, that's perhaps an endless task, but I think we've got to ensure that we're focused on the most professional service we can be. I've heard you talk on a few occasions, and I know that there's one theme that I've also heard you mention on a few occasions that you seem particularly not just proud of, but kind of passionate about. And that is keeping touch with practice, you know, practitioners, and not being either in an ivory tower or in some civil service bunker somewhere. I mean, would you just, just say a wee bit about that? Because that's my understanding of yes, what you've been saying. Absolutely. Uh, I, as a director of social work for 11 years, I certainly felt that I needed to be as much out and about. I'd seen directors in the past who, who, who were, if you like, tied to their, their, their seats within the ivory tears that you referred to, David. Um, it's always been important to me to, to understand a role, the complexities, the diversity of social work roles, uh, particularly somebody who hasn't been directly in practice for a long time. It's also about ensuring that staff, that you're visible to staff, that you understand the kind of things. It's not about being able to resolve everything uh, immediately, but I've taken that perspective into my current role and I try and spend as much time as I can within the social work community of Scotland, in the independent sector, statutory sector, as well as the, the third sector. And it's an opportunity for me to listen, but it's also an opportunity for me to set out my, um, if you like, vision for, for social work in, in Scotland. More specifically, um, we don't do enough, in my view, to involve frontline practitioners in developing policy uh, and practice in Scotland. And it's been very reassuring for me uh, to have the support of ministers within the Scottish Government who I've supported on a number and will continue to support on a number of uh, engagement events with frontline staff uh, from as far away as uh, the Western Isles to Aberdeen and Central Belt uh, and further south. It's also important therefore to take that rich information coming from frontline staff and we'll be pulling that together and that will be presented to the National Strategic Forum that the, the Minister for Children and Young People, Eileen Campbell, uh, chairs and, be, and in real terms be able to make that real connection between the frontline and beginning to uh, make further progress uh, within social work in Scotland. You mentioned earlier uh, about the um, 191,000 people within the actual, if you like, the business yeah. in Scotland, you know, the, the social care industry, if we want to put it like that. The vast majority of whom, as you said, are not qualified social workers, but do very essential jobs. Here we are at a social work education conference. My understanding, and I think it's the same with Scotland as it is in England, is that are there many avenues through university education for social care staff? Because my understanding is that's quite, there's only few and far between. Is that something you've managed that's come across your desk at all? I think the, the, the bigger connection with social care staff is through the college hmm. sector in Scotland. But we talk about social care staff, uh, many of whom have the potential and indeed have gone on to become excellent social workers and certainly in Dundee had a grow your own um, project if you like and, and saw the benefits of that and that was very good in terms of retention for, for staff moving forward. So it's something that we want to, to keep uh, pushing forward in terms of opting the qualifications where we can the professional experience that, that that brings to the users of, of the service, so that connection. Yeah, no, needs I, to be I, I take your point on that, and I understand that you're um, 
how seriously you take that. I just happened to be involved down in England here myself in creating new qualifications with the university. Yeah. We, we created a certificate in um, integrated child protection studies for, uh, if you like, social care staff. So we're talking uh, preschool staff, we're talking nursery workers, we're talking residential staff, we're talking childminders. You know, that vast army, if you like, out there that are servicing and children's homes and so on. And it actually created, uh, gave credits towards, you know, building towards a university qualification. And it just was so well received and snapped up. You know, I, I, you know, I just, I feel like you, the passion to actually accredit, reward, and actually somehow identify the work that that group are doing. Yeah, and surely I think we've made good progress in terms of childhood practices. Uh, in early years and the, the whole emphasis on getting it right for every child in Scotland, that, that prevention and early intervention is part of a long-term strategy is critical and we need professionals, not just social work, but within education and family centres within health that can uh, support that uh, aspiration in Scotland mm. to make it the best place for children to grow up in. Good aspiration. Listen, I mean, one of the one or two final things, but image of social work. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a fairly universal thing. I know there are differences in Scotland to practice in England and possibly differences in the media, but there are also quite a lot of similarities sometimes. Yes. And they sort of tend to focus on the negative more than they do the positive, have you? And we had a discussion about this, I know, yesterday, we were talking about media training for social work. Yeah. What, what would be your views about that? Am I, am I right in terms of the image? I, well, I think you and I probably share a, a common view, uh, David, on this. Um, six years ago, when I was president of the Directors of Social Work in Scotland, I uh, launched with the then Minister Adam Ingram uh, a, a public relations strategy to improve that uh, image. Um, in my current role, it's one of five strands of the National Social Work Forum. And I think it's an area of, of commonality across the UK that we ought to be working more closely on. Uh, and certainly looking at uh, the, the College of Social Work's uh, uh, objectives as far as a strategic plan in the coming years. Uh, very much at the heart of some of their work, so I, I want to I want to engage in further discussions uh, with those that in Scotland are, are, are going to be taking this forward. But I think we should be talking about it more more widely. Yeah. There are some fantastic stories every day across the country. Wonderful uh, changes to the, the lives of many individuals. We don't sell ourselves enough professionally at times. Sometimes lots of good reasons for that um, but sometimes we we hide also behind a modesty uh, which uh, yeah, professionally we just want to get on with the the job mm -hmm. and, and whilst I think that's admirable maybe it's time to stand up and, and shout a bit louder and maybe these front, very frontline practitioners that you were mentioning are, I go you know not the kind of higher pay grades yes. But, oh, whose job I do believe it is to talk about crisis, yeah. can talk about the enormous amount of successes that they have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, you know, just to see social work practitioners uh, on the television, on the radio, whatever, talking about good news yeah. would just be so great. Would you not agree? Absolutely. But also, I think uh, we, the, the voice of the service users and carers, perhaps actually provide an even louder and stronger uh, yeah. voice at times but professionally we've got to take up the, the challenge and, and do more and do better. We'll never completely uh, change the views of some parts of uh, the media but I think that's not a reason for not doing anything no. at all. Finally then Alan, okay finally, um, a message, alright, a message to social workers, okay a message to social workers in Scotland but broader because a lot of people listen to this internationally as well. So it's the social work community, if you like. What, what kind of message would you give? These are very challenging times all yeah. around for us as a profession. Um, and a lot of people may be on the cusp of deciding whether or not to come into social work. What sort of message would you like to give out? Well, first of all, 34 years as a qualified social worker, I feel as passionately about its powerful 
nature of the profession in terms of changing people's lives. We've been through many changes before. Uh, we've been through many, many changes uh, during my career. That will continue to be the case. Um, but if you believe passionately in the power of social work to change positively the impact in, in, in people's lives, then don't hesitate. Become part of, of, of social work. Uh, I think we've heard at the conference today that despite the challenges and despite the difficulties, there's nothing but passion and determination to uh, further strengthen this great profession, whether it's in Scotland, whether it's in the UK, or indeed across the world more widely. Alan Baird, very many thanks. Well, there we are. Now, uh, my thanks to John Bolton and his team for the way that their stewarding and organising of the conference was excellent, and everybody said so. Adam Bolton for the audio and the, the, the setting up of all this, the equipment and the studio. And, of course, as always, Alba Digital Media, who have been uh, they're excellent, as always, and their expertise has been invaluable in putting this podcast together. Now, you can listen to me... Um, uh, as I said, on iTunes, Stitcher, Podfeed, wherever you can use um, SpeakPipe, which is that one-click service beside the podcast, if you want to leave a comment of your own. And please do. I really value your feedback on these interviews, on any of this, the stuff that we put out on the, on the podcast. Email, uh, you can email us, but you can also tweet us at Dave Niven. Just generally, though, just remember, we're going to be putting more, we're going to be putting more of these out on a regular basis of the interviews that we did at the conference and uh, it will be far less than the week in between each one because there's a lot of this and I think it's worthy of a particularly special uh, set of podcasts. So, thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>